Good afternoon and welcome to On the Arts, KLW's radio magazine of the performing arts. I'm your host, David Latulipe. This week I'll be talking with Young People's Symphony Orchestra Artistic Director-Conductor David Ramadanov and soprano Vuiswa Sigati about the upcoming winter concert, San Francisco Contemporary Music Player's Artistic Director Eric Dudley and guitarist David Tannenbaum about the upcoming concert Revisitations featuring a theme of Frank Zappa. I'll also speak with the always entertaining and enlightening composer-musicologist Robert Greenberg about the upcoming San Francisco Performances Saturday Morning Series, which continues with the Alexander String Quartet this Saturday. Stay with us, all coming up after an update from the BBC Live from London. BBC News with Sue Montgomery. The United States Supreme Court has declined to block the state of Alabama from executing a convicted murderer by suffocating him with nitrogen gas. Kenneth Smith is scheduled to be put to death using the untested method on Thursday. Tom Bateman reports from Washington. The Supreme Court issued a two-sentence-long statement saying it rejected Kenneth Smith's petition to review the case. There is still one legal avenue yet to be exhausted, but as it stands, Smith will be killed on Thursday night by having an airtight mask strapped to his face and being forced to breathe pure nitrogen, which will starve his body of oxygen. The UN has already urged a stay of execution, saying the new procedure could amount to torture. Alabama's governor says the method has been vetted and is safe, but several experts reject that claim. A senior UN official says Israel was warned about the location of a facility sheltering large numbers of Palestinians in Gaza before it was hit by shelling. Philippe Lazzarini said Wednesday's attack in a training centre, which killed at least nine people, showed a blatant disregard for the rules of war. The US State Department deputy spokesperson Vedant Patel also condemned the attack. The protected nature of UN facilities must be respected and humanitarian workers must be protected so that they can continue providing civilians with the life-saving humanitarian assistance that they need. The steps that have been taken have not been enough. We want to see more aid, more food, more life-saving supplies to be allowed to enter Gaza. Tens of thousands of people have protested outside Congress in the Argentine capital, Buenos Aires, against radical economic reforms proposed by President Javier Milei, who took office in December. Workers are staging a 12-hour strike, which has affected public transport and other services. The leader of Argentina's biggest union says action will be called until the bill is defeated. Mr Milei's spokesman, Manuel Adorni, said the strikes were unnecessary. We can't hold a dialogue with those who don't want the country to prosper. We consider this strike to be senseless, and it represents a loss of money for many Argentines. It goes against what Argentines want, to live in peace in a country where we'll start to do things the right way, but with everyone understanding that we're going through a very complicated moment. President Zelensky has accused Russia of playing with the lives of Ukrainian prisoners of war after Moscow said that 65 of them had died in a plane shot down by the Ukrainian military. The aircraft crashed in Russia, close to the two countries' border. Russia said the Ukrainians were being transported for a prisoner exchange. BBC News. 
Treasures looted by British soldiers more than a century ago are being returned to Ghana for the first time. About 30 items, described as the equivalent of the UK's crown jewels, will be sent back by museums under long-term loan deals. They were taken from the court of the Ashanti king during the 19th century. A team of international scientists has blamed climate change for driving the worst drought in the Amazon rainforest for at least half a century. Researchers said higher temperatures had led to less rainfall and warned that deforestation had made the soil less able to retain water. Scientists in Australia have discovered that fungi exposed to acoustic stimulation seem to grow faster. They say the results suggest a possible way to speed up composting and habitat restoration. Researchers say healthy soils have a natural soundscape produced by the movement of invertebrates. The Democratic Republic of Congo and Morocco have become the final teams to book their place in the last 16 of the Africa Cup of Nations. Morocco's 1-0 win over Zambia mean that hosts Ivory Coast also go into the knockout stages as one of the four best third-place teams. Ian Williams reports. Morocco, one of the favourites, now face South Africa, while the Democratic Republic of Congo will fancy their chances of upsetting an Egypt side missing the injured Mohamed Salah. The last 16 begins on Saturday with a heavyweight clash between four-time winners Cameroon and three-time champions Nigeria, while both Angola and Namibia have outperformed expectations to set up their tie. Cape Verde face Mauritania, while Corrigo will host the clash between neighbouring Mali and Burkina Faso. Equatorial Guinea take on Guinea, but perhaps the most mouth-watering fixture sees defending champions Senegal up against hosts Ivory Coast. BBC News. Welcome back to On the Arts. I'm your host, David LaTulipe. Well, in an inaugural moment for the local music scene, Two of Berkeley's long-standing musical institutions, the Young People's Symphony Orchestra and the Berkeley Community Chorus and Orchestra, are set to collaborate in a performance. This unique musical convergence will take place during the YPSO's upcoming winter concert on January 27th at Walnut Creek Presbyterian Church. Under the baton of maestro David Ramadanov, the YPSO proudly continues its 87th season. David is celebrating an impressive 35 years as music director and conductor. Leading a talented ensemble of some 100 young musicians aged 11 to 21 and from cities spanning the Bay Area, from Napa in the north to Pleasanton in the south, Meister Ramadonov continues to inspire and guide the orchestra towards new heights. And I'm pleased to welcome him back to On the Arts to tell us more. David Maestro, welcome to On the Arts. Thank you, David. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for carving out some time. Now, before we welcome your guest soloist, Vuiswa Sigadi, let's take talk a little bit about the extraordinary history, once again, of the Young People's Symphony Orchestra, founded in 1936. Yes. It was founded um, by a, a, a woman who wanted to have the opportunity to conduct and had to work very, very hard to find it. And um, somebody a friend of hers found that there was something called a youth orchestra in Portland, Oregon and took her to see it. And that was the inspiration for the founding of YPSO. Uh, the Portland Youth Philharmonic uh, was connected with the Portland Symphony 
Um, but YPSO never had an association with another major orchestra. So it, it is, for that reason, the oldest independent youth orchestra in the country. Well, congratulations for leading it so wonderfully over these many years now. Now, in, in the introduction, I mentioned that in spite of this 87-year history of the YPSO, this will be a first-ever collaboration with the BCCO. Artistic Director Ming Luke has been another frequent flyer here on the arts mm-hmm. to keep us abreast of his and their activities. Tell us how this collaboration came together and then in choosing the Poulenc Gloria as the featured work. Well, it happened. It happens, actually, that we're going to be going to Japan this summer and the discussion of a possible choral collaboration came up. One of our board members... I'm sorry, let's back up. Let's back a moment. To Jap- are any chaperones needed for that Jap- Japan? <laughs> um I think we're well equipped, <laughs> but thank you for offering. Um, but one of our board members, Satoko Stroud, is a member of the BCCO. And so she approached me and uh, me and I also ha- as happened to have known each other for a number of years. So it was a very happy collaboration. And uh, we had one of our chamber groups perform for a special event of theirs and um in addition to that, we also provided some people to help support one of their concerts. So uh, we little by little built up that relationship. Well, let's hope indeed that that continues. There's so many wonderful organizations that would, I'm sure, welcome the opportunity to have a, such a great ensemble like the Young Persons, Young People's Symphony Orchestra behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll drill down a little bit on the uh, work that will feature Vuiswa shortly, but you're also going to be featuring one of your own, the concertmaster Henry Stroud. Henry is um, our co-concertmaster, and uh, he's this year's concerto competition winner. So he's going to be playing the Sansaw Third uh, Violin Concerto First Movement, and uh, has given an absolutely wonderful uh, preparation for it. We're well, looking forward to it. Great. Well, to offer a little bit of a tease, let's hear about a little bit about that, a little of that violin concerto, and then I'll talk more with the maestro and the soloist. Stay with us. Thank you. 
Just a taste of the first movement of the violin concerto, number three by Camille Saint-Saëns. It's Doc Perlman performing that work, but you'll be hearing the Young Person, Young People's Symphony Orchestra under the direction of David Ramadamov, with concertmaster Henry Stroud as soloist for that first movement. David, uh, that's quite a work to perform and win in a competition for such yes. a young charge. It must have been a, a stiff difficult process to get through it um henry made it obvious uh-huh. because uh, he's he's a, he's a wonderful musician with a passion for chamber music so he's a, an experienced and uh, very talented performer well the contemporary work super maximum by kenji bunch begins the program tell us about that work and and share what it's like to expose your young charges to a work like that Wow, it, 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 it's been quite an experience because Supermaxim refers to the kind of security that prisons had in the Depression era South. And the music that the, uh, Kenji was in, uh, inspired by are the chain gang songs by people who worked under extremely impressive conditions. So the piece starts really with an orchestral depiction of just the sounds of the work, uh, building the railroads so that you hear uh, anvils, you hear uh, hammering, you hear uh, uh, breaths and so on and so forth. But little by little, the songs creep out and more and more instruments join in. And it really becomes increasingly triumphant to the point that uh, the culmination of the piece is when you have an almost... A full section of the brass brass uh, improvising in kind of a jazzy uh, triumphant moment. Wow! So it, it's it's a triumph over oppression through music. Fantastic! Uh, we could all use a little bit of that right now. Yes. I think. Um, share what is what it's like to expose your young charges to the contemporary repertoire rather than the traditional classical canon. Does it seem like at this age all the same to them or are there different uh, enlightening moments? Well, there were certain aspects of performing this piece which involves foot stomping, involves tapping the fingerboard of of an instrument, breathing through a brass instrument with no sound to coming out of the brass instrument, and then also all the percussion effects. They, They all physically just got into it. And little by little, uh, it just grew from that process. So there was no problem of, uh, of building enthusiasm for the piece. And of course, it must be a joy to introduce the traditional canon to these young, young people as well. Yes, that it is true. Uh, and, and doing the Sanson and also doing the Pulau. Well, I mentioned, I mentioned Henry Stroud, your soloist and concertmaster for the first movement of the Sanson. Uh, let's talk about the other soloist involved in the big work on the program. Uh, great time to introduce your young soprano soloist, Vuiswa Sagadi, who, like I'm sure more than a few of your chargers in the YPSO hope to be, or perhaps uh, she is a current San Francisco Conservatory of Music student. Vusiwa, welcome to On the Arts. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course. Well, first tell us a little bit about your studies at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. What year are you there? Yeah, so um, it's my senior year at the conservatory of my undergrad. Um, I study, I'm a soprano, obviously. (laughs) 
Um, I study with Cesar Uyoa, who is, he's phenomenal. Um, you know, we just have really good chemistry and yeah, I mean, so far I've enjoyed, um, being a part of his studio and just being at the school in general. Where do you hail from? Um, from Dallas, Texas. Dallas. Well, you must have had quite a, quite a variety of schools to choose. What made San Francisco Conservatory Music your choice? Well, it actually wasn't my first choice. I auditioned for, um, well, uh, I was born in, I was born in Des Moines, Iowa, but then, you know, family circumstances, I moved to Dallas, Texas, and then I was in choir, you know, competitive, like TMEA, Allstate, stuff like that. And then um, I auditioned for um, Boston Conservatory, and this was all during COVID, like 2020, so that also made it challenging um, but I auditioned for Boston Conservatory. Um, what was a few other schools? That's okay. Uh, LSU. The important thing, uh, yeah, sure. But the important thing is that you've, you've made quite a, quite a f- four years of the, or at least that of uh, the San Francisco Conservatory music. Congratulations. What are plans post-graduation now that you're a senior? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to re-audition for the conservatory and I think I'm going to do, um, a master's. I'm auditioning for master's and a professional certificate, but I believe I'm probably going to go for the master's degree um, and then maybe start auditioning in the fall for long year programs and residencies, stuff like that. Is there a particular music genre do you enjoy? Do you enjoy singing opera or art song or modern music or kind of all of the above at this point? Yeah, I love opera, but I also enjoy singing like jazz and R&B as well. So, you know, I grew up in the church. That's my foundation. I've always sung like gospel, more R&B, stuff like that. But I developed my love for classical music more during high school. And this uh, uh, performing and singing for the Pulak, what was your familiarity with the work before you, uh, was this a competitive process to become soloist? Were you asked? How did that work? So um, the conductor at my school, Dana Sadeva, she, I I believe I'm saying her name correct. I'm not, I think that's her last name, but um, yeah, she connected, she connected me with um, the organization. I actually didn't know too much about the organization before, but um, she just recommended me as a soloist, which I'm really appreciative to her for that. But um, yeah, that's basically just how it went about. Okay, uh, David, uh, Maestro Ramadanov, talk to us a little bit more about the Gloria of Pulank that is the featured work on this piece. Um, Pulank uh, went through a resurgence of uh, uh, a deliberate belief in the in, in his Catholic faith when a close friend of his died in an automobile accident, and then he also had a m- mystical experience at uh, with the Black Madonna at Lourdes, and so that inspired a number of uh, religious works. This particular one was a commission by the Boston Symphony, um, and uh, they asked him first of all to write a symphony. He said he said no, that uh, writing a symphony doesn't interest me. So um, uh, they said, okay, write whatever you want. And so he decided, in this case, to write uh, a religious work. And um, even though the text is quite serious, um, he was greatly inspired also by Vivaldi's Gloria, which is a very upbeat work. 
And so much of that uh, is uh, inspired the flavor of, of the Gloria, as, as he wrote it. There right. are moments which are serious, and uh, actually our soloist gets a number of those to herself. But um, but the choir gets to experience express pure joy at certain times. Well, Bosu, we wish you a wonderful performance this Saturday at 7.30 in Walnut Creek. And Maestro, thank you for joining us as well. Um, we're going to go out with some of the music of Gloria, but let me point you to the YPSOmusic.org website for more information about this Winter Concert 2024. Music of Kenji Bunch, Camille Sasson, and Francis Poulenc. Thank you, Maestro. Thank you, Vusiwa. Thank you for having us. Some of the wonderful music from Polak's Gloria, part of the Young People's Symphony Orchestra Winter Concert 2024, featuring in that Polak, the wonderful soloist Fusiwa Sigadi, a young soprano from the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. Henry Stroud, the concertmaster, featured as well, and uh, more music ahead on that. YPSOmusic.org. I'm David Latulib. You're listening to On the Arts here on KALW San Francisco Bay Area. Lots of music on this show, including 
one of the most, not exactly 87 years, but maybe they'll work on that in the years to come to get up to that august number. But the San Francisco Contemporary Music Players have been around for quite a while, and they continue their 2023-24 season with a program entitled Revisitations. The title references the rescheduling of two major works that had to be put on hold due to the pandemic, Frank Zappa's The Perfect Stranger, and Louis Andreessen's Life to be performed with film. In addition to the Zappa and Andreessen, the program will feature works by Missy Mazzoli, Stephen Mackey, and Pierre Boulez, as well as the world premiere of two works by students from the San Francisco Conservatory's Technology and Applied Composition program. It's also this Saturday at 8 p.m. here in San Francisco at the Conservatory's Caroline H. Hume Concert Hall. And uh, let me see where my notes are for this. Yes, here we are. Excellent. Uh, To tell us more about the concert and collaborations of uh, this particular program is the artistic director of the San Francisco Contemporary Music Players, Eric Dudley. Eric was born in Toronto and raised in my home state of Connecticut and leads a multifaceted career as a conductor, composer, vocalist, and pianist, deeply engaged in the performance and creation of contemporary music. Since its founding in 2009, Eric has been a member of the genre-defying vocal octet Room Full of Teeth, touring worldwide and being a part of the Grammy Award-winning ensemble. Welcome to you, Eric. Welcome back to On the Arts. Thanks so much, David. Always a pleasure. We had some folks on from Room Full of Teeth last week, um, and their concerts are, I believe, tonight, tomorrow, Friday, which you can't participate in because of the co-inky-dinky of the contemporary music players' (laughs) performances. But that must be an exciting ensemble to play with. I had such a wonderful conversation. Oh, yeah. They're super cool, and it's really awesome to have them in town and giving concerts here in San Francisco, even though I can't be a part of it. Um, Yeah. Nearby. Nearby. Yeah. Okay. Nearby and and investing in the same things at the same time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, you're also joined on the air via Zoom, the magic of Zoom on the arts, by one of the featured artists, the extraordinary guitarist David Tannenbaum. David is currently chair of the guitar department at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music. We should get a little commission from today's show from them, where he he has received the Outstanding Professor Award and has been artist in residence at the Manhattan School of Music and has performed around the world and in quite demand for master classes. David's some three dozen recordings reflect his broad repertoire interests, and one of which, a 2002 recording as soloist with None other than Esa Pekka Salonen and the L.A. Philharmonic was for John Adams' naive and sentimental music, and that was nominated for a Best New Composition Grammy. Among his performing activities, he is currently a member of the Pacific Guitar Ensemble and the San Francisco Contemporary Music Players. David, welcome back to our airwaves as well. Thank you, David. And we Happy need to, to be here. We need to temper those comments with um, a little bit of... Uh, health advisory is uh tell us about what happened and are you indeed performing this well i'm tempered actually um (laughs) i came down (laughs) excuse me with my first case of covid wow yesterday and so my wonderful former student uh travis andrews who's a guitarist from the living earth show will be replacing me and i'm uh, very happy that he will do it and very disappointed to not play this wonderful music. Well, it could be his Leonard Bernstein moment. Be careful. 
<laughs> I'd love for Travis to play as much as he can play. That, that's great. Um, Eric, the focus of the concert at first glance would seem to be Frank Zappa, but there are others, several other composers involved that make, make me wonder. And first of all, tell us about, I understand there's some sort of connection that you're drawing, not only with a couple of the other composers, but about the surprising connection between Frank Zappa and, of all people, Pierre Boulez. Yeah, it's a very kind of historical odd couple, um, but there was a, a real kind of synergy that happened for a period of years, um, not necessarily on a personal level, but on a musical one. Um, and the the real kind of sounding point for, for this program uh, just goes back to a moment in the contemporary player's own history, which was that in 1983, Frank Zappa was a guest conductor for the group and conducted on a, a fairly like ambitious concert, actually, that took place at the War Memorial and um, was conducting music of Varese, which was his main fascination uh, in terms of like classical contemporary music. Um, and so there, there's an actual history there where Zappa was one of our guest conductors. Um, and uh, right around that same time period, this was when he was kind of trying to get more of his, um, his orchestral and concert music um, sort of on stage, you know, find a way to, to gain access to, you know, specifically to conductors. Um, and he had written a film score that the, I believe the London Symphony recorded uh, in a prior year and essentially started sending his material to Pierre Boulez. Um, just because he knew that Boulez was at the top of his game and, you know, essentially one of the A-list conductors of the time. And Boulez had just essentially stopped with his career, his tenure with the New York Phil, and had started his ensemble Intercontemporain in Paris. And so uh, Zappa sent him a letter saying, hey, I'd love to write something for you and for orchestra. And Boulez responded by saying, well, I don't necessarily have an orchestra to speak of, but I do have this very large chamber ensemble of around 28 players. So if you want to write something for that, then we'll perform it right away. Um, and that's the genesis of The Perfect Stranger. Fantastic. Um, and and tell, that, tell us more about that piece then. So the piece itself is is very sonically fascinating. It's an oddity. Um, you certainly hear a lot of Varese in it. Um, so you, it's clear where, where Zappa's influences are coming from. Um, but it also has a really strange little bit of, of programmatic concept to it, um, which I had to really dig to find. But Zappa was quoted in an interview uh, as describing what the sort of the image for the piece is and as as the title kind of infers it's essentially about a a visit of a perfect stranger as it's a, a vacuum cleaner salesman who shows up on the doorstep of a lonely housewife and they end up uh <clears throat> hitting it off um and that's kind of the the program for the piece and that's why it sound the piece itself starts with what is very obviously just the sound of a doorbell chime um and then everything kind of proceeds from there. Um, so the piece has a really funny kind of backstory, but musically it's not necessarily um, suggestive of that immediately. What we actually hear more on the surface level of the music is what I read as being a, a really kind of intentional high modernist composition on Zappa's part. Um, and he knew the ensemble that he was writing for. He knew that he could challenge them in, in really, you know, amazing and creative ways. And apparently the first rehearsal was, was 
kind of a disaster because he wrote some extremely ambitious rhythms <laughs> that were very, very difficult for that, that group at that time to actually line up. I'm happy to report that after our first rehearsal on it this morning, we're in a, in a whole different place and, mm-hmm. and, you know, and the piece is already sounding, you know, quite wonderful with our group. So it's nice to, to approach it with musicians of this level at this time. Very nice. Uh, speaking of your background in Connecticut, I wish I could uh, fly out my nephew, Nick, who not only is a big 49ers fan, but also an extraordinary Frank Zappa fan. Now, I remember early on when I heard Frank's music, wow, this is so anti-establishment. It's, it's, uh, it's just defying any kind of expectations. And then I was thinking, what is he on? <laughs> and then uh, would we call his uh, development into more serious music or was it always, does it always have, oh, that's Zappa, uh, an element to it? Yeah, I mean, uh, David could also speak to this, um, you know, just from his personal experience with, with Frank's music. But I, I think there's a real dichotomy there and there's, a, there's an aspect to Zappa as a figure um, that was always kind of intentionally iconoclastic and that comes forth in his writing especially about about classical music um uh but in this piece i see a strange dichotomy where it's it's kind of like this is also his underhanded way of kind of saying look i can do this too and i can write a piece of of straight up modern chamber orchestral music that checks all the boxes and you know, and kind of conforms to the idea of what the European avant-garde at the time was. Um, so it's kind of an interesting, you know, back and forth. Uh, speaking of which, David, Zappa is not one who first comes to mind when one thinks of a classical guitarist, even one with your broad pedigree. Tell us about your familiarity with the music of Frank Zappa. Well, um, I First of all, I had a chance to be on The Yellow Shark, which is his last recording. I was working with the Ensemble Modern at that time, but unfortunately I had this big solo tour and I couldn't do it. But I was certainly you know, very aware of him following what he was doing, studying his frustration in trying to fit into the modern classical world. He was writing pieces that were so complex. And I would say that the level of performing is is higher now. We've been through a lot of those styles. So as Eric was saying, you know, players can come to first rehearsals now playing things that were really over the top uh, 40 years ago. So I, I was aware of all that. And it turned out that there was one little classical guitar piece that he wrote uh, when he was 18 years old and just discovering Weber and fascinated by the 12-tone uh, system. And it's just about a 30-second thing. I was, I'm the only person who's recorded it. I mean, he kind of typically said, it's a very ugly little piece, <laughs> very Zappa. <laughs> well, but yeah. he was learning that style that early, is what I'm trying to say. Interesting. And I, I didn't realize this was your recording that, we, that you offered. So let's hear that very brief Zappa waltz performed by David Tannenbaum, and then more with David and Eric.
indeed a very brief waltz from the pen of Frank Zappa and performed by my guest David Tannenbaum, who uh, was originally scheduled to be performing with the San Francisco Contemporary Music's presentation of Revisitations this Saturday at 8 at the San Francisco Conservatory Music. Well, he didn't like it, but I bet you Boulez loved it. Boulez was fascinated by yeah. Zappa. Uh, he really was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's more on the program I mentioned. Um, Louis Andreessen's 2009 work, Life, another work that was due for performance pre-pandemic. Uh, Eric, tell us about that work. Sure. So that, that work is um, actually quite understated, I think, when, we've, when we sort of have our, our concept of what Andreessen's music is. Um, it's a very intimate work. It is for a kind of uh, modified puro sextet, um, it, specifically for the Bang on a Can ensemble instrumentation. Um, and this was a Bang on a Can commission uh, from Louis. And it's also a piece that is accompanied by a film um, that was created by Marika von Warmerdam. Um And essentially, it, it, Louis described it as a kind of... Uh, sort of modern day pictures at an exhibition, um, but in a, in a very kind of understated way. So the, the visuals that we see are essentially, uh, the first movement is just called wind and it's a kind of an urban industrial scene with a bunch of things just blowing around in the air, kind of creating a visual dance on the screen. Um, we see in the next movement, an image of just an elderly couple seated by a lake obviously having what appears to be just a very loving and, and intimate conversation, but we don't hear any of it. It's just left to the music to kind of describe the, the atmosphere. Um, and then he, he continues to mix in those images together in different ways throughout the rest of the film and, and the other two movements of, of the work. Um, but all in all, it's only about a 15-minute piece. Um, and, and the ensemble is used in just very coloristic and evocative ways. Um, I would say that if there's a connection between that and the Zappa, the Boulez, Steve Mackey, Missy Mazzoli, you know, these are all composers that were influenced in some way by rock, whether it's through instrumentation, as in the case of, of the Andreessen and the Bang on a Can, you know, actual ensemble, um, or whether it's just through sound and the energy of rock music or prog rock or something like that. And that's very apparent in, in Steve Mackey's output and in Missy Mazzoli. Um, so there's a lot of kind of shared influence in, in that just orbit of, you know, composers who are straddling the boundaries, right? Between, is it classical modern music? Is it rock music? Is it elements of both? You know? So we'll hear some connections in spite of the apparently disparities or not disparities, but, you know, differences of, compositional styles. Missy yeah. Mazzoli's Tooth and Nail for solo viola and electronics. Yeah, um, which essentially the electronics are just uh, playbacks of prior recorded viola. So there's not a lot of, um, you know, sort of filters and, and, you know, obviously electronic elements. It's more of a chance for a single violist to interact with previously recorded tracks and 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 have a, a counterpoint that way that will be performed by christina simpson fantastic violist who joins us quite frequently great and i need to give a shout out to uh, my colleague and good friend uh todd brody as part of the ensemble roster as well mm -hmm. uh great folks like adam Luf luftman on trumpet as well um 
It's a wonderful ensemble of the San Francisco Contemporary Music Players this Saturday at 7, 8 o'clock in the Hume Concert Hall, San Francisco Conservatory Music. David Tannenbaum was to perform, but we're going to hear a little bit of his music nonetheless. Uh, a wonderful recording that he made of uh, the Nociens of Eric Satie, if you don't mind us airing those, David. That sounds okay. Thank you for taking some time today, both Eric and Dudley. Learn more at sfcmp.org. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank I'll, you. I'll have you on again soon. Uh, here is guitarist David Tenenbaum performing the Nocian number one of Eric Satie as I try to hunt down my next guest, Dr. Bob Greenberg. Our artistry of David Tannenbaum performing the wonderful Eric Satie, Nocien, number one. We're fortunate to have these guys still linger on the arts on our Zoom link as we're still waiting on Dr. Bob, who seems to be AWOL. We'll, uh, we'll 
make some things happen here. I've got plenty of music to share with you and events that are coming up. So, David, Eric, uh, thank you for lingering on. David, before we get back to the concert, uh, talk to me about making that recording of the Eric Satie. They work so wonderfully for solo guitar. Yeah, I really love the way that music sounds on the guitar. Uh, it's so colorful, and that's what we can bring is, is color with the classical guitar. So that's part of a record I made in Germany with six Debussy, six Ravel, and all the Gymnopédie and the Nocians. Um, and I, you know, I think with arrangements, I don't do them apologetically. I, I don't want to just sort of transfer them to an instrument, but I want to play them if I feel like we can actually add something. And I think in this case, the guitar brings this kind of color that um, is very effective. And speaking of guitar, uh, we next month there's a big guitar extravaganza happening here in San Francisco called the, uh, let's see, it's the International Guitar Night, a fusion of world-class guitar virtuosity. Any familiar names coming that you're going to catch up with while they're here? Um, well, Tuli, I, I certainly know of, but I haven't heard her play. Um, but it's a variety of styles and the other players I don't know in that program. We'll learn more for all of us at internationalguitarnight.com. Guitarist David Tenenbaum, professor of guitar at the San Francisco Conservatory of Music, and Eric Dudley, artistic director of the San Francisco Contemporary Music Players, my guest for, guests for this segment. Eric, we didn't get a chance, to, and now we do, to talk a little bit more about the Steve Mackey work, San Francisco uh, for electric guitar and cello. One would think, you know, you hear that and you think of Jeanette McDonald or, or Tony Bennett, <laughs> but is this anything resembling that, or is it just happens to be the, the title of our fair town? I think uh, more of the latter, yes. Um, yeah, David could could speak to it as he was prepping it until COVID reared its ugly head. Um, but uh, but this is one of, of Steve's earlier works. Uh, Steve is a guitarist himself and, and quite an amazing one. And that has certainly bled through into his composition. And um, I think he's still best known for, for you know, being one of the uh, pioneers in terms of bringing, you know, solo guitar and specifically electric guitar kind of into the orchestral zone. You know, he's written several pieces, you know, for himself as soloist originally or for other, you know, really fantastically talented electric guitarists um, with large ensembles. Um, this is a much more intimate work because it's just, you know, a chamber piece. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I should have directed the, the, the question to David as the guitarist on, uh, on the panel. David, um, your familiarization, familiarization with electric guitar as opposed to acoustic, is that something you came to, something you started with? Talk to us. Well, I started, my parents were both classical musicians, so I first played piano and cello. So the electric guitar was my musical rebellion at first, and from that I found the classical guitar. And, you, you know, really if you scratch the surface of many classical guitarists, you'll find an electric player back there. Um, so it is something that I've kind of always known how to do. I would say in Steve's case, you know, he's just always worn it on his sleeve. That's what he does. He was a rocker, and he still is. And uh, this piece is interesting. He was doing a lot of improvisations with the great cellist Fred Sherry, just kind of improvising a lot. And he told me a lot of that happened in San Francisco. And this is the only one of those that they tried to write down in any way. But even though they did write it down, it leaves quite a bit of room for improvisation. You have a loop pedal going, and the cellist gets to go off and improvise first, and the guitarist gets another one later in the piece. So it's of indeterminate length. 
And uh, I like, didn't like just, the show today, <laughs> like, like, uh-huh. like your segment. Yeah. But it's going to end at five. I don't know when the piece will end. <laughs> but I, I've been really enjoying uh, practicing improvising over that loop. Um, and I can tell you, in terms of improvisation, that is not something I've done throughout my career, but I had an extraordinary experience with it, which is that I did a three-week tour of Japan with Terry Riley when he turned 70 years old in 2005. We had been working on a, a project uh, of him for writing guitar music, which is still going on now. It's, it's really been 20 years of this project. And we got this tour, and he said, you know, we're going to improvise. And I said, well, I don't really improvise that much. And he said, look, you've got the ears. I will be patient up there. You can hear what I'm laying down. I'll hold your hand through it at first, and you can do it. And it was just an extraordinary experience. You know, I need him. someone like that in my life. There <laughs> you go. I, you know, <laughs> classical flutist, but I'm uh, improv. I just get I get mm, a little frozen there. Yeah. Well, you should go to Japan. Like what happens in Japan stays in Japan. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Improvisation wise. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no. Yeah. But it was really. It was like I don't. I don't know how to describe it. Almost like a just sitting there with a mountain. He was so solid and and just laid things down that were so clear and easy to work with. And uh, I got more courageous as I went. It was a great experience. Nice. That's uh, David Tenenbaum, guitarist, uh, homebound for this coming concert. So one of his students is genuinely set, stepping in for him once again. His name. Let's give him a shout out. And he's a former student, Travis okay. Andrews, who's developed quite a quite a great career. Excellent. Uh, yeah. That's along with Eric Dudley and the crew from the San Francisco on uh, Contemporary Music Players Ensemble, their concert this Saturday at the San Francisco Conservatory Music's Hume Concert Hall, eight o'clock. SFCMP.org for more information. Once again, gentlemen, I thank you for being on the arts. Thank, thank you. you. I'm David Latulib on the arts. I understand that we have a sighting of Dr. Bob Greenberg, who will join us shortly for an unfortunately much shorter segment than we had in mind. I guess he had some technical problems, but we're happy to have him back. We should mention uh, also that this coming uh, Friday, Saturday, and uh, Friday, th- I'm sorry, let's start again. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday at 7.30, Davies Symphony Hall is the place to be as Michael Tilson Thomas returns to conduct Symphony Number no. 5 and C-sharp minor. So work very dear, dearly uh, associated with him, and Mahler especially, Gustav Mahler writing that piece, 1901-1902. Uh, MTT is the Music Director Laureate of the San Francisco Symphony, Conductor Laureate of the London Symphony, and Co-Founder and Artistic Director Laureate of the New World Symphony, a 12-time Grammy Award winner, conducted the major orchestras and of Europe and the United States. He was the music director of the San Francisco Symphony from 1995 for a good 25 years, ushering a significant period of growth and led the symphony in championing contemporary and American composers alongside classical masters, for which he won multiple Grammys. And he's been returning each year to conduct the orchestra as music director laureate. Sadly, he was recently diagnosed with uh, glioblastoma, a brain tumor. He's been rallying through it, and these performances will be quite poignant. If you can make it, please do. 
MTT is an officier de l'ordre des arts et des lettres de France, a member of the American Academies of Arts and Sciences and Arts and Letters. Former President Barack Obama presented MTT with the National Medal of Arts in 2009, and he was also a recipient of the 2019 Kennedy Center Honors. He was recently honored on the lighter side with his own commemorative street, MTT Way, outside of Davies Symphony Hall, where he has conducted countless memorable concerts over the years. I certainly look forward to these performances of Mahler 5 with MTT at the helm of really his San Francisco Symphony. Let's hear a little bit of that first movement as we anticipate a conversation about the Alexander String Quartet shortly. Just a taste of the amazing Mahler Symphony Number no. 5, conducted by Michael Tilson Thomas in that recording. He'll do it live at the Davies Symphony Hall just off of MTT Way tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday. SFSymphony.org for more information. We wish him well 
and looking forward to those performances. Well, we did have a Dr. Bob sighting. Uh, he's with us now by Zoom for an ever-so-brief chat about his latest collaboration with the Alexander String Quartet. No elaborate introduction, Bob, because we've got to get to it. Tell us, you know, you've been doing these wonderful composers with the Alexander String Quartet. Now it looks like uh, destination concerts. Well, this is a series, a two-year-long series that we waited years to do. It's a big gamble on the part of San Francisco performances to, to present two years' worth of early 20th century music. Uh, it's remarkable stuff, but it can be extraordinarily challenging. And for most folks on a Saturday morning, which is when we hold our concerts at Herbst, for most folks, uh, Saturday should be about relaxation, having a nice breakfast, drinking some coffee, coming in, hearing some pretty tunes, leaving, going out to lunch, doing whatever you want to do in the city. Instead, folks are having to listen to Schoenberg and Webern and Bartok. And while this is high-quality music, it's very challenging music, and the stories behind it uh, are equally challenging. So that's what we've been doing, and you mentioned location. Indeed, the way we've addressed the series is by country or even by city. So we started in Paris with Claude Debussy and uh, Maurice Ravel. And the revolution that took place in Paris in terms of the musical language and why that revolution took place, I mean, this is way back last year. Coming up on Saturday... Uh, we will be in Czechoslovakia, and indeed Czechoslovakia, not the Czech Republic, for music by Leos Janáček and um, Pavel Haas, a composer Pavel, that I'm not familiar with. Oh, my goodness. He's one of those that died in Auschwitz at a very young age. And had he lived, we would all know precisely who he is, because he was a wonderful composer, uh, Janáček's number one student, and uh, and the carrier of Janáček's... By the way, that's how it's pronounced. It's not Janáček. It's Janáček, where both the first two syllables are accented. You know, it's interesting you say that, because I heard a lecture one summer where um, they were talking about presidents of the past, and it's Buchanan, not Buchanan. Really? That's whatever. Anyway. Oh, my God. He was I mean, a scholar. I, every time I used to say Carnegie. No, that's Carnegie. Uh, <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, yes, Carnegie. Dale Carnegie said the, the most beautiful sound in the world to anybody is the sound of someone pronouncing their name. Correctly. So, <laughs> I've added correct. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, so but, back, to ha- back to Haas and Janáček. Yeah, Haas was Janáček's numero uno student, and uh, he never left his day gig, which was working for the family shoe business. But he was a brilliant composer, and like Janáček, he was born in Brno, uh, in what today is Moravia, and um, or the Moravian area of, of the Czech Republic. And he was just a great composer, and he wrote uh, three powerful string quartets. We've already done his third quartet, which is a terrifying piece that was written in the late 30s uh, while the threat of Nazi Germany was becoming imminent. But this is, uh, this is an earlier piece, his second quartet, uh, called uh, From the Monkey Mountains, of all things, which is a nickname for a vacation spot there in Bohemia. Hmm. And it's a wonderful piece. It's a travelogue. It's pictorial. It's charming. Um, it's got a little jazz. It's got a little klezmer. It's got a lot of Janáček or a mm. lot of Czech. 
I'm music. afraid we're going to leave it at that for people to discover this Saturday with some music of Yana Czech to go out with. Uh, Bob, we have we could spend another hour, and I hope we do soon. And again, I want to write in campaign to engage Bob on a regular basis on this program. So send your emails to david at klw.org. Bob, we'll have you on again soon. So sorry about the difficulties today, but I look forward to catching one of the performances with the good friends of the ASQ, and you're always entertaining, enlightening, and uh, a wonderful commentary. You take care. Thank you. You too. You've been listening to On the Arts on KLW San Francisco Bay Area.